Where's the manager? Walzer Automotive presents Car Selling Secrets. Welcome to Car Car Selling Secrets, sponsored by Walzer Automotive Group, episode 107. For those of you keeping score at home, in studio today we have... Andy Brampernard. And... Thomas B. And zooming in from Canada is our special guest. I'm really excited to talk to this guy. We've been uh, uh, LinkedIn buddies for a long time, but we've never actually spoke. James Carter has got a really... Lot, this is going to be a rare episode because I think all we're going to talk about is cars. So we'll be right back after these exciting announcements to uh, get right into it. Can I tell you one thing before we go to announcements? Of course you can. I walked down to the men's room quickly between the two hours. I think it probably was well-received because a man walked in and went, Oh, my God, you had Gelfand on. You guys are great together. Did well, he mention me? Well, he said you guys. So. <laughs> of course. Okay. You're I mean, part of you guys. That's so but, cool. Yeah, the second he leaves here, I'm already getting people coming up to me going, God, that was great. Yeah, that's pretty quick feedback. <laughs> it really is. So, let's get Mr. Gelb. Anyway, we got to take a break. We'll, we'll be, be, right, we'll back. be right back. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. As you know, my friend Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop by simply creating the best pillow. Mike created the new Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for me, which is crucial for my busy schedule. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's Giza sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. Giza Dream sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. Mike's making a special offer for my listeners. You buy one set, get another set absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, and use promo code TOM. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Call 1-800-516-5146. Use the promo code TOM. Go to MyPillow.com. Make sure you use the promo code TOM. We are back with episode 107. Uh, joining us from Canada is uh, James Carter. Long career in the automobile business. He worked for Toyota, both in planning and in sales uh, for a number of years. He is a principal consultant right now with a company named uh, Vision Mobility. He kind of has a, I, I follow all his posts, and he has a pretty good eye over the horizon as to what's going to happen in our business. James, how are you doing today? 
Yeah, great. I'm. Uh, it's really good to have me here today. <laughs> I just, I just okay. never, I just assumed you would have a Canadian accent. Are you Australian? Oh, I am Australian. Huh. So you got exiled to Canada. I hear the weather isn't quite as nice up there. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, the, the weather's a little different up here than, than down where I'm from. But you know what? It's, uh, it's, it's been. I've been here for 15 years now, and I guess it's, I guess it's home. So uh, here we are. Well, before we get started, it's a tradition of this podcast that we have guests tell the story of their first car. So what was your first automobile and any great stories that are that are attached to it? Uh, yeah, actually, it's, it's funny. My first car was a Toyota Corona uh, 1972 uh, RT81. So it was a, an Australian-made uh, Toyota made in the, the Port Melbourne plant, and uh, it, it had a... Uh, a, a this uh, 1.6 liter overhead valve four-cylinder engine, so it was it was quite slow, with an automatic gearbox, and it it did not handle it all well. It was <laughs> it was quite a car. It was significantly older than me, and uh, yeah, it, it certainly was not the the car that you'd go around picking up girls in. That's for sure. It was quite <laughs> quite the quite the old uh, old Palmerville, and so I had that for probably about a year and before getting into some uh, other more interesting cars. But that was my first one that I had at university. We had, uh, uh, it, and it's, a, it's an interesting way to, uh, as an icebreaker for the podcast, because it's almost universal that we all drove just, I think the technical term is shit boxes for our first cars. <laughs> we had a, a local politician came in and he goes, yep, my first car was a Dodge Omni 024, lost my virginity in the front seat. I'm like, well, that's good to know. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that, Pat Garofalo? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yes. Our co-host here, uh, and my co-host, is uh, Tom Bernard, who is a legend in no, uh, radio really, in the yeah. U.S. He's, he has a very successful morning show that's been on the air for you know, 38 years now. And Christ was a corporal. Yep. And he was actually, I think, the, he bought the first Tesla back when all he made was Roadsters in the, in the did, state yeah. of Minnesota yeah, 15 or 16 did. years ago. So I remember that thing. And I actually leased him on the air uh, Cadillac ELR. So he he leased one of the three that they sold that year. I, I love that car, too. <laughs> oh, that was a great car. Why didn't that car sell? Well, I... I I, I think it might have been a marketing issue that they had. And, oh, sure. Uh, they had the same problem with the Chevy Volt and that they were hybrid uh, cars, but people thought they were all electric and they were scared of, you know, the whole range anxiety. things. Like well, Volt that. is just a bad name for a hybrid because Volt means right. electric. Right. You know. It so be. and now they make the Chevy Bolt, yeah, which is which, all electric, just to confuse. It's I know, just, extremely bad marketing there. So James, let's talk about well, let's talk about electric cars. We you know, we hmm. hear so much and I don't know what it's like in Canada, but Americans have developed the ability to politicize just about everything in the country right now. And of course, electric cars are a big political issue. Where do you see obviously the manufacturers are, are racing towards all electric production, but what do you think about uh, adoption of that? Well, you know, I I come up from two areas. You know, one is, you know, there's an environmental issue. And, you know, I, I think following the environmental track is is uh, is a good thing to just think about. You know, we, we know we talk about CO2, we talk about greenhouse, you know, that that's all fine. But, you know, uh, I was talking to uh, Don Romano. Don is um, he's the CEO of Hyundai Canada. And we were having a conversation the other day and he says, says to me, you know what? 
if I if I put my uh, car in the garage, I pull the garage door down, and I switch on my electric car, you know what happens? Nothing. But if I do the same thing with a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid or an IC vehicle, I pull the garage door down. You know what? I'm not I'm not going to be alive too much longer. And he said, you know what? You have to think about. You have to think about that this garage that you're in, we are just in one great big garage being our planet. And, you know, with everyone having our car switched on, with everyone running uh, these IC vehicles, what, what do you think is going to happen? And, and he's absolutely right. So, you know, when I approach it from, you know, what is this environmental issues about electric vehicles? It's, it's trying to think about that we are all in this one big garage together and we really need to be cognizant of, of that idea. The second thing I think is really important to understand is that I don't know if you guys have driven EVs and it sounds like uh, one of you guys had a Tesla, but you drive an electric car and man, are they good to drive. Mm-hmm. It's, it is a revelation. Like, so we have a Model 3 at home here. And previously we had a uh, Subaru WRX and we, my wife at the time, uh, my wife also had then a, um, a BMW 3 Series. So both nice cars, both pretty fast, both pretty cool. But getting into this Model 3, it was a revelation. It was, uh, I, you know, it was like going from a Model T to, you know, whatever you mount, an, out of your R8 or something. It, it was that big a gap. So that's what I regularly hear from people when we talk to them about electric cars, you know, right across Canada and North America is just how much better the driving experience is. And not only that, they also talk about how much better the refueling or re-energizing experience is because instead of having to go to a gas station, generally you just plug in at home. And it's not that often that they have to go out and about to do charge out a home. So they talk about why is my re-energizing or refueling experience just so much better and this driving experience so much better. And and they're the two things that really uh, spring to mind for me. It, it's interesting. Uh, it's an interesting strategy because, you know, the first electric cars, you would not say that they were high performance at all. I mean, the Nissan Leaf no, comes to mind as one of the most sale-proof cars ever to hit the market. <laughs> uh, and, and no offense, we actually work for an auto group that owns, is lucky enough to own four Nissan dealerships across the Midwest. But it's, And I don't know who thought of it first, but the next generation or the current generation of electric vehicles and the ones that are just over the horizon, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the specifications on these things are just astounding. They're astoundingly yeah. fast. I'm, well, they've been improved so much. But right. I think a huge part of the problem, and it looks like based on the top selling vehicles in Canada, that the culture, the car culture in Canada is really basically the exact same as America. Because if you look at the top selling cars, it's pickup, pickup, SUV, pickup, pickup. Uh, and the electric car market is not going for that group, even though it's, you know, they're buying the majority of vehicles. But there are no electric car manufacturers saying like, OK, we're going to make this, you know, rough and tough Got our electric pickup going through mud and you know hauling cows and all that kind of crap. Actually, Ford is uh, they're getting into it now. Breakthrough with the the with the F-150 Lightning. Yep. In fact, I just read uh, before we went on the air our, our, in our first show that Ford has upped their investment by four hundred and fifty yeah. million dollars and another four hundred employees to expand uh, F-150 Lightning production. So I mean that's coming, and there's also a 
a, a pickup truck by a startup group called, is it pronounced Reven John or Revon? I, I always get confused. John. Sorry Rivian. about that, James. Rivian. Thank you. I'm just going to go home now, and you guys can carry on. There you go. <laughs> Call them by the ra- wrong name, and I mispronounce the, uh, the the truck. That's it's a pretty spectacular vehicle, and it's just it's it just is. hitting the market. It's just so strange how they took so long to because I mean the idea of an electric vehicle is basically to replace the combustion engine. Mm-hmm. So you're an electric ve- vehicle manufacturer, and you say, okay, right now pickups by themselves are like 35 percent of the market. Why not make a pickup? But it took them, what, 15 years to think of that idea? Yeah. It's very odd. <laughs> you know, I think one thing that I think Ford has done spectacularly well with Lightning is, is that basically they've said, you know what, we are going to take what you've loved about your F-150, exactly. what you love about pickup trucks mm-hmm. for decades, and you know what, we're going to make it electric, but we are going to build in things. We are going to make it do things that you want it to do. You know, you, it's going to be cheap to run. It's going to have this massive front trunk that you can put whatever you're darn well liking. So you can store your power tools. You can, you know, you can put suitcases in it when you're going away or going camping. You can, you know, have this strong torque capability for towing. You know, all these things that I think people who are buying trucks are really going to love. And, and what's more is since that truck has been announced, Ford has received somewhere between 120 and 150,000 orders for that. Now, they were only going to build 40,000 of these units in the first, 40,000 Lightnings in the first year. And they've had to say, this is way too little. We've got to double this production. And, and, and I think people have just realized this, this is an incredible truck. And by, this by, is really what the future is. By comparison, I think Subaru and Mazda each sell about, what, 250,000 cars a year? Is mm-hmm. that about right? It sounds about right. Yeah. And, and they sell 750,000 pickups. So, yeah. you know, you can yep. see this market opportunity. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It just it's, it's it feels so mismanaged. I mean, I'm sure there's a reason no one thought, you know, let's put a battery in an F-150. Well, you know, the early ones, I think they were just trying to get the most efficiency they could out of them. Right. Because you have efficiency and horsepower. It's hard to have both. It is. It's a choice between one and the other. And, you know, the very first electric of this, the latter end of the 20th century was a General Motors vehicle. Yeah. Uh, And then, you know, Honda was screwing around with the Insight, which was a hybrid. But the goal was to get something that got... 100 miles to the right. gallon they got close they hit 80 but these cars were torturously horrible to drive yeah uh, they were slow but fortunately they handled poorly and had no room in them yep um so it was kind of the but james um i want to add so the 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 counter argument to the race toward electric vehicles goes like this um and it's actually gotten worse and since Afghanistan's got every, on everybody's plate. Lithium, the biggest, Afghanistan has some of the biggest uh, lithium reserves in the world. It's terrible for the environment. It's not a zero-sum game. The electric grid can't handle, uh, you know, 30% EV population in the United States. Tell, tell me what your take is on all that, because I'm sure you've heard these arguments. You can't get away from them. Yeah, obviously. You know, there is... There's a few more. Like there's um, mining with children in the Congo. There's all sorts of crazy stuff that we hear, and you know, it's, some of them do have degrees of truth. And um, but I, I think what we need to understand is what, and nothing 
nothing in life is ever not polluting. You go buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks or up here at Tim Hortons or whatever you plan to do. There is some pollution that goes along with doing everything. The key to understanding this all is what is the total sum of, of the pollution? What is the total as holistic aspect of I see cars versus EV? And, and to me, that is really the key to understanding. Rather than picking out you know, oil and saying, you know, oil is, is, you know, creates lots of CO2, which it does. You know, it's, it's polluting its, its areas that it's around and big oil spills versus lithium that's, you know, uh, has mining problems or cobalt from Congo or whatever. But understanding what this sum total is. And I, I think when you start adding these total things up, there is, you know, absolutely a, a massive benefit for going towards EV. And, and it's the EV life cycle emissions i.e from when you get in that car when it's new to when it's in the crusher what are the emissions that's produced and they are way way lower even if you're on a coal grid so that that is understanding that context i think is really important yeah that's a good point i I read a study i think it was out of mit or Mm -hmm. some weird unheard of university that I, i think the 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 tipping point was either two or three years of ownership. Obviously, it's determined somewhat by uh, miles driven per is. year and the and the yeah. climate that you have the vehicle in. Electric vehicles use more energy in, in, in northern climates than they do. Well, not to warm. mention, what's the electricity coming from? Coal, oil, solar, wind. Right. That's a big exactly. part of the equation. Yeah. And, you know, up here in Canada, uh, where we are in Ontario here, we have... Hydro. Um, 95%, well, it's hydro, it's nuclear, it's it's mm-hmm. wind, it's solar. So this combination of, of green energy really makes the numbers for electric car, you know, add up very, very quickly. So within right. less than a year, you know, that thing is is back to balance again, even though there's, there's more emissions in the production side of an EV than an IC vehicle. Uh, just after one year, it's back to balance. And from everyone, everything they're on, it's a gain. I mean, if you're in West Virginia where it's nearly 100% coal, you know, maybe it's going to take three, four, five years or, or some, you know, those are the sort of numbers, you know, we should be thinking of. So uh, what we need to understand is that electric vehicles are going to be better for the environment on a CO2 basis. And because they don't produce any, uh, you know, smog forming emissions like nitrous oxides and um, carbon monoxide, particulates, all that stuff that kills people, all that stuff that makes your children sick is it's just not there. It, it's zero emissions. So, you know, those are the two things we must remember. Yeah, I think I think that's that is important. And I'm, that, that does bring a little bit of clarity to it for me. Um, I, I have a question and this has to do with your career. Um, I was the new car director for Walzer Automotive Group for 12 years, dealt with all the mainstream OEMs. And then at the end of my tenure, we also added on uh, a group of Highline dealerships, Mercedes, Lexus, BMW, Jaguar, you know, the usual suspects in in Wichita, Kansas. And I've dealt with all the manufacturers at, you know, meetings and so on and so forth, dealer ad associations. And in my mind, there was Toyota and there was everybody else. Toyota Mm -hmm. was, it was just a different collection of people incredibly smart, uh, you know, from Bob Carter all the way down, and would invariably do the right thing. I'll I'll tell you a a quick story to illustrate it. Back in, I think it was 2010, when they were having the whole unintended acceleration crisis, and it was, 
I was on uh, national public radio. They asked me if I'd talk about it from the dealer's standpoint. And I went on and I said, well, here's the deal. Uh, if it's a recall, doesn't matter how many owners the car has or whether it's under warranty, you will be contacted and they'll fix, you know, just trying to get some information out there. And then I think it was Carrie Miller, I don't remember who the host was, said, let's take some phone calls. I'm like, oh, my God, it was brutal. <laughs> but the controller came into the corporate office one day and says, hey, I, I got this this wire transfer from Toyota for $180,000. I, I don't know what it's for. So I called their zone rep, and, and she said, um, yeah, they're sending that money out to Toyota dealers to just take care of customers any way you want to. Huh. And I, I, I was just floored. So my question for you is, um, you had a, it looks like a pretty successful career at Toyota. Why did you leave? You know what? Um, I, I just to go to pick up on what you were talking about on, on the unintended acceleration, I can exactly remember that's that situation exactly where we'd go out to dealers. And, you know, it was a really difficult time uh, being a rep out, out on the road with Toyota, uh, you know, trying to get across the, this uh, you know unintended acceleration thing. And absolutely, Toyota looked after them with some extra money to make just customers happy and you know i really appreciated that and you know soon after in 2011 then we had to deal with the the, the tsunami wiping out a bunch of supply yep. and you know a whole bunch more issues but you know i think going back to you know why did i end up leaving you know there was a combination of you know what, what was going on in my career and where i wanted to go but i think one of the questions that i was asking myself was uh, from a distributor side and, and from a dealer side what is that direction that points into what I would call new mobility? And new mobility, you, you could define by this idea of, of the case technologies being connected, autonomous, shared, and electric, as well as understanding what are the platforms, what is this mobility as a service, what does this whole new world of transportation look like? And, and to my way of thinking, what I could really see is that there was some, some discussion like, you know what, we're always going to be in the same way. Dealers are always going to be out there and being dealers. This model's never going to change. We're always going to be selling cars. We're always going to have, you know, lots of service business and we're going to be pushing out the new cars. And I was thinking, you know, wait a minute. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it's going to be quite different. Maybe this technology is going to completely change the way that customers relate to their vehicles, the way that customers relate to their dealerships. And you know what? It's starting to be true because, you know, I know I have my Tesla out there. We've had it over two years now. And you know how many times I've taken that thing in for a service? Zero. Yes, which so, is, I, I will tell you from the dealer's uh, side, we, we look at this as going, hmm, this is kind of a closely guarded secret, but dealers actually make money in the service department. Yeah, don't let them really get out. So. Yeah, electric motors don't really uh, need a whole lot. Once. Yeah, the only thing that really increases is, is tire life is a little bit yep. decreased simply because of the power the that torque, these things yeah. have and the weight yeah. from the batteries. Oh, and torque. Man, are they fun. Yeah. A lot of torque, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Loved it. I'm yeah, one of the uh, people in chat, uh, he's a car guy i don't exactly know what he does maybe uh, i know you're listening maybe you could clue me in or remind me because i'm sure you told me and i forgot but he said that the uh new electric hummer the battery alone 2900 pounds uh, that's almost Hammer. as much as an suv right there so an yeah. but uh, by comparison uh engine 
General Motors V8 is probably six or seven hundred pounds, yeah. roughly, and then the Jesus. fuel system is going to be yeah. thirty-gallon tank, five pounds per gallon. That's so it's it's maybe a thousand pounds. So the increase with the Delta would be the difference. You know? It's a pretty. It's still it's, it's, it's still a almost a two thousand. It's a, it's a one thousand pound or two thousand pound heavier vehicle. He says that in order to service that vehicle, your shop needs to have a twelve thousand pound hoist. Which, oh wow! Yeah, Man. that's quite a bit of uh, a bit of weight i wonder if that's amel i think it is yes is that we have a a, a regular listener he's a, a general motors uh technician in beloit wisconsin i think anyway yeah, he's, real, he's, he's from, from the name amel nitrate isn't it? yes yep. right very that's funny he was very popular in the 70s james we've <laughs> got to take a short break run a couple of commercials and when we get back uh i want to switch over to talking about avs which is shorthand for autonomous self-driving vehicles uh-huh. we'll be right back in a couple of minutes Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. It made sense to my kids, and it makes sense to pretty much everybody that's heard about them. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees. How do they do it? Shift lists for a flat fee of $5,000. You work with a full-time salaried agent. They take professional photos and videos of your home. List it on the MLS and market your home online, all for a $5,000 flat fee. Call Shift Real Estate and tell them about your home. Tell them that you heard me talking about it, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more when you list with Shift. It's the common sense way to sell your home. Visit Shift2Sell.com. That's Shift, the number two, Sell.com. Because life is expensive enough. Tom here for all my friends at Profile. We are running out of summer and rolling into fall. Kids are back in school, and now it's time to finally do something for yourself. So maybe you're thinking it's time to get back on track with your health. Well, Profile can really help you out. Profile has a variety of plans to fit any budget, and Profile really works. I've been on the program for over six months. I've lost a ton of weight. I feel so good right now, and it's time for me to maintain taking all that weight off. You know what I'm talking about. Danette, my personal coach, will help me maintain my weight loss. She has so far done a great job. Profile has helped me and can help you too. So what are you waiting for? Set up an absolutely free, no obligation consultation today, and you will be glad you did. Visit ProfilePlan.com forward slash Twin Cities for more details. In fact, use promo code Tom Barnard and save 100 bucks off your Profile membership. What a deal. Check out ProfilePlan.com dot com forward slash twin cities that's profileplan.com hey i just got out of the meeting i can't even tell you how different it was from what i expected well you know i'm uncomfortable interviewing in the first place but i didn't feel that way there everything they said made sense to me yeah and priority is the largest same day delivery company in the twin cities and after all these years of doing it for someone else i'm ready to be part of something bigger a job? That's what I have now. You know I need more. <laughs> Driving is what I do, and Priority Courier Experts is where I want to do it now. 
I know, and that's the best thing about it. I could never afford to buy a truck like that on my own. But tomorrow, because they believe in my skills, I'm taking out the first brand new truck that I'm going to own on the last payment. I can't wait to be in their fleet. I can't wait to be the next expert on the road. After 20 years of driving side-by-side on the road with these guys, of course I'm excited. And all I did was check out Priority.com. Easy. Priority Courier Experts. Every time you call us, we deliver. We are back with the second half of Walzer Automotive Group's Car Selling Secrets. Our special guest phoning in from Canada, James Carter. Uh, had a long career with Toyota. Currently is a consultant, has his own company, uh, Vision Mobility. Uh, we talked about electric cars in the first segment, and I want to switch over and talk about AV or autonomous vehicles. Um, you know, there was sort of a breathless rush to AV vehicles, I think, six or seven years ago when Uber was going to change the world. Uh, that yeah, that was happened. the end goal. And it, it's interesting, James. I actually, and it's a long story and I won't bore you, but there was a, a couple of years ago, I thought that I had uh, a pretty bad diagnosis and I wasn't going to find out what was wrong with me for a few months and I was going crazy. So I, I had driven cab when I was in college. So I drove Uber for a couple of months and learned all about it. And it was kind of fun. It's exactly what I needed. Um, but as I thought about what they were trying to do with going to AVs. I'm like, how does this business model work for them? Because right now their entire inventory is basically free. They just pay as a, a you know, percentage of the fares they collect. They don't have any uh, capitalized costs in vehicles. And to switch into an AV fleet just seemed crazy. And I know that recently uh, Uber sort of backed away from that strategy. Maybe there was somebody at the company that was as smart as I am or probably even a lot smarter. Uh, but but tell me what you think about uh, the the near and the distant future of autonomous vehicles. Yeah, that, that's a good question. Uh, you know what, I think over the last two or three years, uh, you know, we had this big rush of interest, as you said, you know, four or five years ago. Um, but And, you know, it, it's really followed, I don't know if you guys have heard of this uh, Gartner hype cycle. And it's this idea when new technology builds up this huge head of steam and everyone's talking about it and then all of a sudden it just falls flat but but actually the technology is quite viable and one after that fall flat it, people it starts to come back and it starts to get recognized for its real value especially as the technology improves and, and really that situation's happened with autonomous it went for this huge rush and then went Everyone went, well, this is just too hard. I don't know how we're going to do this, but this is going to take forever. And then the whole thing fell on its hoof. So, But what we're really starting to see now is that autonomous is starting to pick up. And people are really starting to say, what? you know what, this has got real value in some areas that really make sense. And one of those areas is actually trucking. Yep. Just think about it. If you're trying to drive through the city, like, you know, downtown Toronto or, or downtown New York or, you know, whatever, it's it's not easy. You've got people flying at you from left, right mm. and center. You've got a bunch of stoplights and, and all signs everywhere. It's you got to be careful and you've got to be aware. But if you're driving in the highways, you know, you can sit back, you can relax, you can set cruise control and off you go. And if you think about that, in terms of trucks, what companies like Too Simple are trying to solve is, is actually exactly that. They're trying to make this autonomous problem much, much smaller. And by limiting their scope, they can actually achieve a lot more. So, 
and and for two simples case what they're also saying is you know what there's a shortage of truck drivers out there we can help solve this shortage we can help uh you know bridge some of this gap to to drivers you know not wanting to go away uh away from their families for low pay and we can we're able to solve this problem and they're now talking that they're going to launch in 2024 so i think as we look forward we're going to see this split in use cases and some things are going to take longer things like trucks are going to come sooner than we think yeah and the other the other uh uh benefit of of that in the trucking industry is i is i if, if i understand it correctly drivers are limited to, i think it's 10 hours a day unless there's a national emergency mm-hmm. and then they can change that restriction obviously the, the with av you can just yeah you can just go 24 hours yep. basically right exactly and, and that's the whole thing you know um i know too simple what they did was they did this um they actually moved this uh, huge load of watermelons from uh, somewhere somewhere in New Mexico into Texas. And, and the reason they're, they're operating there now is because uh, those a lot of states down there, they, they let autonomous vehicles just go. So they don't need to be watched or whatever. Um, but in this case, they, they did this and they were able to cut the time down uh, almost in half because they didn't have to stop for uh, you know rest breaks. And the thing is, those watermelons or, or whatever other uh, type of delivery that really requires speedy delivery was able to, you know, arrive there fresher, you know, and, and so it was just a whole lot better situation. So this product to speed to market thing was a, a really great thing. So it was a really interesting use case. Yeah, it's uh, I just have nightmares of nobody driving an 80,000 mm-hmm. pound vehicle at 75 miles an hour at night through the desert. It does. Yeah. And I, I personally, I think that uh, if they do become mainstream and common, it likely won't be my generation. That it, it, it'll take another generation. Take People will have to grow up with them uh, to feel comfortable. Although I, I will tell you this, uh, from a dealer standpoint, and also as an older person whose parents are still alive, there's a huge untapped market for AV, and it's elderly drivers. Oh, my, absolutely, yeah. My dad just turned 90. My stepmom is 89. She's sharp as a tack, but she's going blind. Yep. And my dad is oh, having no. memory issues. So yep. so there really are three solutions. Stop driving, which we're, they're really close to doing. Uh, combine the two of them in some sort of a time machine into one person. Or wait for the invention of AVs. I don't know that they're going to live that long, that they'll be commonplace in mm, North Carolina. Probably not. It's. A, I think it's a huge market. Uh, I like the helmsman and navigator system for the second one, though. You got one person at the wheel and the pedals, and you got the other person. <laughs> they got their sextant out. Yeah, you have to be able to see though to use that. That's true. So it wouldn't work very you got well. Got your for braille them. sextant. Oh, and the other uh, population is uh, you know handicapped people. Yep. I mean, it's it, it, it. If you don't have working legs, you really no. can't drive. I mean, you can, but it's not. You know, it's harder. It it's really is. It's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what what's John Kraftchick up to? I, John was the head of Hyundai in North America, oh, probably until about 2015 or 2016. One of the most difficult jobs in the automobile business actually is working for Hyundai, because if you miss your numbers by a quarter, you generally get to walk the plank. <laughs> they're not, so they're not they're not terribly. But he was a super, a really bright guy. I met him a bunch of times. What is he up to now, uh, James? Well, I think he just retired from Waymo, I believe. And Waymo, obviously, as we know, was the uh, uh, the Google uh, company that split out. Uh, and I believe they IPO'd recently. And that they're 
developing the self-driving technologies uh, that we know about and have been running around, I believe, somewhere in New Mexico for a while now. So uh, they are a really interesting company, very well funded. They're doing a lot of really interesting things. But I think John himself was retired. Oh, wow. Well, I suppose it's, he's probably approaching 70, I would guess. Uh, he had a lot of respect for him. He was a he did a really good job when he was at Hyundai. Have you ever been to Google, by the way? I have not. I got invited to go out there, and I can't remember which of our vendors. They wanted to talk to car dealers, and they're like, you want to go to Google and have a roundtable? Like, Are you guys buying wine? I'm in. So we went to the early campus of Google, and it looks strangely like a 1970s apartment building complex, you know, with the fake yeah. stucco walls oh, and then yeah. the sort of dark trim. like, And apparently the early Google buildings, that's what they were. There was all like these weird apartment complexes. Really? They didn't take it. Well, we were car guys. They didn't want to take us to the nice place. Well, but, I suppose, yeah. But I remember, that, and people there are just scary smart, but also... They're trying to learn all these different businesses, and I give them credit for that. This was more of a marketing thing, and a very sharp woman was talking about creative ways to attract new customers. And they said, you know, rather than have sales, this is Volvo's approach to how they're selling this uh, new technology. And you probably remember the commercial was Jean-Claude Van Damme and between a couple of semis that are backing up, yeah, oh, yeah. and he does yep. the splits. Yep. Yep. And she goes, look, that was only, you know, that was a... $2 million commercial. And I said, you do realize that all the people in this room don't spend $2 million a year in marketing, right? We had no idea. So it's if you get a chance to go, James, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a fun and really a weird spot. Uh, you can't walk five seconds without seeing a Tesla whiz by. I mean, that's all everybody drives out there. Yeah, I've heard that. One of our listeners wants to know your thoughts about hydrogen-powered cars. Oh, hydrogen. Oh, that has to be one of my favorite topics. Well, there you go. Um, so hydrogen is, it has some big problems. So firstly, the cars are very expensive. There is almost no infrastructure and they cost a fortune to run. Mm -hmm. So that's the summary for cars. And um, you know what? The summary for trucks is not different. No. <laughs> so if you're thinking about big trucks, then all those same things apply. Where hydrogen has has typically uh, been touted as having an advantage is a, a little bit less weight uh, than an EV, in a truck sense anyway, Yeah. Uh, like a semi-truck, and um, being able to have a little bit more range. Now, what's really happened over the last two or three years, and this is one of the, the groups deep inside engineering industry engineering that we're part of is they're developing what's called the megawatt charging standard and the megawatt charging standard is a ultra high power charging uh, charging set of charging uh i guess standards uh that allows trucks to charge beyond three megawatts so this you could have a absolutely enormous battery like a ten thousand pound one megawatt battery in your semi-truck and this thing will go five, six hundred miles. And, you know, after that five or six hundred miles, it can stop and charge back to 80 percent with this megawatt charging standard in half an hour and keep going. And the thing that's really important that we saw was that even if hydrogen 
drop by 80% of its price today, an electric truck was still cheaper to run. So when you start thinking about the economics of trucking and, and the logistics business, we there is no way known to mankind that we could see the numbers adding up for uh, hydrogen trucks. And and frankly, exactly the same thing happened with, with hydrogen cars. I don't know about if you guys have seen any... Um, you know, trades come in on things like Mirai's or, uh, you know, any of the other uh, OEMs uh, selling hydrogen vehicles. But, you know, we're hearing these things here in Canada being, you know, new MSRP 75 grand mm. and you know, trading values under 10 grand after a couple of years. So, you know, these are people just can't use these things. <laughs> so no, I'm, yeah, if they had started working on the hydrogen economy 30 years ago, then maybe. But there's just like there's literally nowhere to get it 12 well, i think 12 or 13 years ago whenever the clarity which was the honda product was mm -hmm, about yeah. to hit the market uh the marketing director alan crutch and i went on a url buying spree just for the hell of it one night we were living together and drinking scotch at night and coming up with marketing ideas you we and actually alan lived together yeah i didn't know that yeah we were in between marriages at the time no yeah. not you two i knew i was yeah odd you kids so we actually through GoDaddy for $7, bought Clarity.com. Uh, um, as we were a Honda dealer, we were encouraged to sell it to Honda of America. Yeah. So here's my question about uh, hydrogen power cars. Um, yeah. The one byproduct of hydrogen vehicles is water, right? That's the that's the waste. So if, if you have a hydrogen-powered truck in Minnesota or Canada, and it's January, and it's spewing water everywhere, I, it, it sounds like a terrible idea. And maybe I'm, it's, I'm over, this is overblown, but isn't, wouldn't that be a huge problem? Uh, yeah, look, in, in their defense, um, you know, I, I think the OEMs have figured out ways to get around that. And the amount of water that's actually expelled is not really that high. Okay. Uh, so I haven't really heard that it's created problems. I have heard um, FCEV, the fuel cell electric vehicle, hydrogen vehicles, actually run relatively well in winter conditions up here in Canada. Uh, however, they still just can't get around this cost problem that we talked about, and, and an efficiency problem as well. I think if hydrogen is going to go anywhere, it's going to be distributed power generation. It's not going to be individual cars. It's going to be, instead of oil power plants, we'll have hydrogen power plants, because then the infrastructure really isn't that big a deal. Because, you know, power plants, we already truck everything over to them, and it just goes to one place. So you burn hydrogen, it's not really a big deal. Whereas getting however many 50,000 stations across the country to get hydrogen to people is a nightmare. Uh, it's not only that. The, the thing I think we really have to, to think about with hydrogen is... The fundamental problem with hydrogen is that it's not clean. It's made from natural, most, almost all production out there is made from natural gas. And 2% of the world's carbon emissions are from hydrogen production. And most of that goes to things like um, ammonia, which you go into making fertilizers. So a lot of the world depends on hydrogen basically to eat. So the question that I always ask people is, if you're thinking about hydrogen, if you're thinking about making more hydrogen for inverted commas clean purposes, almost definitely you're going to be getting it off natural gas. And if you're making green hydrogen, i.e. Uh, hydrogen made from electrolysis from you know wind power or solar power, there's almost none of that around. So any of that green 
uh, hydrogen should be going to be used to, to offset this black, dirty hydrogen that we've got out there that's really ripping to, into our environment. So to me, it's a it's an allocation and an efficiency problem that we got to think about and say, hey, these use cases of cars and trucks, they're really dumb. Let's use it in the right way. Right. I mean, we would have to be getting it from something like electrolysis of salt water, which we would have to be doing anyway to get salt and oxygen. Correct. Which, I mean, it's not like that's difficult to do or anything. It's just no one's really doing it because it takes a lot of energy to electrolyze salt water. Exactly. Exactly. Tom, I so, feel like a spectator. We're watching the, we're God, watching the really line, two yucks. smart people talk. Yeah, exactly. We're just sitting there back here listening. That's all we do. Don't, no problem. Don't worry about me. Nobody worries about you. That's why you're crabby all the time. Oh, well, that's kind of negative. Well, James, don't you hate Doug? <laughs> oh, jeez, man, I tell you. <laughs> Jeez, man, I tell you. I, uh, that's, that's it. That's exactly right. This is a fascinating conversation because, you know, it's so amazing about that, James. I did buy the very first Tesla in the state of Minnesota. It was one of the very first Sportsters they sold. I loved the car, but it did that bricking thing where you couldn't move it if the oh, battery wow. went dead. It's the only reason I got rid of it. I loved that car than that fact that I couldn't really deal with that it's inter elon musk is interesting he's a big thinker but his attention to detail can be uh, uh, yeah shaky at times yeah which, we've noticed that you know going on a podcast and smoking pot when you're a publicly held I company know. it's like Dude, elon what are you thinking oh, it would it would make deal? me hesitant to get into one of his rockets i'm just saying i understand but it, it was a lot of fun to drive but i when i found out if it died on the freeway you couldn't move it i'm like oh no this is not good you know what i think the really interesting thing about elon is is he's managed to create a vision and pull smart people around him so you know even though yeah. you know we all think elon's a bit out there and he is um the, the type of people that he's pulled into his way of thinking and putting science and, and first principles first to develop and engineer what you're going to do has just been unbelievable. So that's what I really appreciate about Elon. Oh, I think he's the Thomas Edison of our of our lifetime. I mean, that well, he stole all his ideas. <laughs> well, he probably <laughs> borrowed a few. Well, Thomas Edison. I mean, he started with PayPal and Edison charging people to borrow money was not a new idea. It's all Nikolai Tesla. Let's talk about him. How's he doing? Exactly. How's he doing? Exactly. That was not a good. Wasn't he a guitar player? Yeah, band. Nikolai right? Tesla. That's exactly right. He was. Uh, no, he's that guy. He put up with so much crap from all those people. Thomas Edison. I mean, you get on the list. They treated him like dirt. Yep. I don't know why they. Although he used to stand on stage and hook both hands up to an electric uh, the electrical outlet, and uh, they'd shoot bolts through his arms. I think that made a few people a little nervous yeah. watching that go on, but I don't know for sure. But, it, but it, people like that don't come along very often, and no. it's, it'll be interesting. To, I don't think Elon Musk is done doing crazy, wild, creative, uh, oh, interesting right. things. It's just, just wonder what he's up to next. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I got a question for you guys. Um, you know, I, I'm talking about electric vehicles a lot. What are you hearing about from the dealer side and from the customer side? I know you guys are plugged in. Uh, what what are they talking about? I'm I'm really curious. Well, I will tell you uh, the the two 
manufacturers that we don't represent in the Walzer Automotive Group, and we've been trying to buy them forever as Volkswagen and Ford. Mm -hmm. uh, and talking to some Ford dealers, they're huge. The, the Mustang E uh, is a smash. The Lightning is going to be terrific. Uh, right. But it, it's still, like I said in the beginning of the show, it's turned into kind of a political thing. It's it's. Yeah. And, and I don't know how we got to that point, actually. It's, there's people looking down on electric vehicles because they're not internal combustion. And, you know, what happens if you, you lose a charge and they have to bring a diesel generator to charge up? It's like, okay, if you run out of gas, it sucks, too. It's, yeah, people are always going to be resistant to change regardless of what it is. I know. It, it, to me, and I've said this to a, friend, a few friends of mine, and they kind of give me the finger. I said, you guys are descendants of whale oil salesmen. <laughs> oh, that's kind of I mean, I mean cool. really, it's just technology. So if if electric vehicles are faster, easier to manufacture, more reliable, I mean, I like v, the sound of a V8 too, but I can watch a movie. Uh, and yeah. if I can go to zero to 60 in two and a half seconds and um, never have to go into the dealer for any service other than tires and maybe a brake job every once in a while, I... I'm all over that. I think if they can man manage to make EVs affordable, that's the big hurdle. Because well, they're still thousands of dollars more than an internal combustion car. Actually, the, I think the Mustang starts in the high 30s, which is close to, I think the average MSRP of a car sold in, in the U.S. is about 37 grand. So they're not, it's Are coming they, they're down. They're finally getting there? Yeah. And yeah. if they come out with these tax credits again and... I, I don't understand why Biden, the administration, is doing what they're trying to do. They're trying either. to pass a bill that says that they'll have EV tax credits, but only if the vehicles are produced in union shops. Mm. Well, I get that that buys the union vote. I mean, I'm not stupid, well, yeah, but, yeah, but it, if your focus is uh, environmental, environmentally based, limiting the people that will benefit from the tax credit seems counter. It's stupid. I it think. almost makes you wonder if their focus isn't environmental and it's about power. Yeah, why exactly? Well, I'm sure that that comes into the equation. <laughs> and, but that's I, a much longer discussion. Yeah. James, I'll tell you this. If they ever come out, and I don't care if I have to sell my house to get it, if they ever come out with an all-electric Rolls-Royce Phantom, I'm in. <laughs> You know, Neil Young uh, <laughs> converted like a 62 Lincoln did, Continental yeah. Yeah, did, yeah. to all electric. Lincoln, it wow. just like he spent a trillion dollars yeah, doing this, but I've seen pictures car. of it. Yeah, well, it's like the one Kennedy got killed in. Yeah, exactly. But it's exactly. Uh, but it's all electric. I thought that was pretty cool for a Look at guitar player burn from through Canada. it again. James, you know, uh, go ahead. I think, I think you're going to have your you'd wish come true with an electric Rolls. I don't think it's going to be too long. God, I'll sell my house. Yeah. Those Look, phantoms are beautiful. Jag's cars. going all electric by 25, I think. I think that's Yeah, true, in yeah. the next three years, that's you won't be able to buy a gas-powered Jag. Huh. James, we are at the end of our episode. I really enjoyed uh, the conversation, and I think we're going to tap you on the shoulder to come back in the future, if you don't mind, sir. Good job, James. It was very interesting. Well, thanks very much for having me today. And well, I'll send you a link when the episode gets posted, and I'll put it on LinkedIn so all of uh, all your friends can make fun of you. What are you doing talking to these jamokes? Well, how about this action? How about if you never talk to my son Andy again because it's too embarrassing for Doug and me? <laughs> yeah, we're taking notes. So we have Andy. We have a lot of questions after the show. Yeah, exactly. Well, That's you see it, folks. This is when you split a molecule. <laughs> all right, yeah. stop. Oh, goodbye. That's the end of episode 107 of Walzer Automotive Group's Car Selling Secrets. We will see you next Thursday. Bye, everybody.